Ladies and gentlemen, faithful listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. This episode has been a long time coming. Me and this guy have been trying to record this episode for probably about a year or more. The anthracite antler addict, the cool honky himself, Mr. Travis Melichek. What a great episode in talking about the silver linings in every hunt. And we talk about failures. We talk about successes and how that stuff all comes together at the end when you just need to learn something every time you're out there. So, loved bringing this up. It's not something I really hear a lot of people talk about. And we don't just measure success in a uh, kill, 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 right? And that's what you see on Instagram. That's what you see on Facebook, the whole community, outdoor television, YouTube. And uh, that's not the reality of things, guys. We We make mistakes and we try to learn from them and we move forward and you can read these books and you can listen to these podcasts and all that other stuff, but some of this stuff you need to put to work and figure out what works and what doesn't because every situation is different and um, you just take the good with the bad and you take every win that you can. You also figure out why you lost if you do. So we also talk about what scrapes uh, can look like and uh, some mock scrape action. We talk about deer management. We talk about some industry fakes, some of the fake stuff that runs rampant through Instagram and all the other social medias and YouTube. Also, um, he has a great Instagram page, guys. Go give him a follow on the Anthracite Antler Addicts page on Instagram. Guys, you also may want to get the earmuffs out for the kids on this one. We get a little excited here and there. That's all I got for you. Don't forget to rate comment and subscribe moving forward thank you guys so much for the support here's to another episode thank you and god bless ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the keystone chronicles podcast guys this one's been a long time coming um me and him make one back and forth here this damn app that we were trying to use and record on and uh finally we kicked it back here to a phone call and uh i'm super excited for this one uh, the, the anthracite antler attic, the coal honky himself, Travis Malochik. Brother, how are you? Oh, I'm going pretty good here uh, <laughs> now that we finally got this some, some yeah. sorted out. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. This is this is the game, right? We, we have to face technology sometimes, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, technology sucks on, on our side. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I ain't getting any younger either, and I'm, I'm good with technology, but, Jesus, sometimes – I don't know. <laughs> I just don't even want to oh, deal yeah. with it. So, um, understand, understand. But um, uh, here we are. Uh, we talked about it before we come on, and we kind of know where we want to go with this one. Something I don't feel like a whole lot of people talk about, and it's super relatable, I think, for everybody. And um, the the whole thing that we really want to go over and a proper thesis on this one is going to be the silver linings and everything, whether that be success or failure, because. Um, not every season's the same when it comes to whitetail hunting and, um, they can either be a son of a bitch or it can be one of the greatest things ever. So, um, we're going to go down the road of talking about how we learn things. Uh, and, um, also, you know, I'm a big mock scrape guy. I know you're a big mock scrape guy, run them year round, you know, inventory cameras over them and, and everything. So we'll, we'll definitely daddle on that a little bit, man. But, okay. you know, before we get going, man. Go ahead and sell yourself for us. Please tell us uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're all about, and then we'll get moving here into the, the land of the mytholo- mythological whitetail. 
<laughs> oh boy, I try to sell myself. That's a hard fucking sell. Um, yeah, Travis Milochik, uh, born and raised in Schuylkill County. Um, started Anthracite Antler Attic page on Facebook and Instagram back about four years ago, going on now. Uh, did that just solely out of the purpose of me and my friends were discussing how we're sick and tired of the bullshit on TV and it was unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. and unrealistic situations. So, and that was back when YouTube land was still kind of fresh with that, you know, local Joe's putting their hunting videos on there. And, you know, it was still, still pretty nice before, you know, the industry got a hold of it. And, uh, you know, we, that's where we jumped into. And then, uh, yeah, so we're still hanging in there, still doing our thing and, uh, kind of become infamous for speaking my mind, whether that be good, bad or ugly. I just, don't give a shit and I stay true to who I am and what I've always been. You know, you're run of the mill bow hunter. I'm nothing special. I put in my work just like everybody else. And, uh, you know, like you said, I've learned from, I've gained the knowledge I have from screwing up an immense amount of times. I'm, I screw up more than I succeed, but that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me coming back. Um, you know, and you say that, would you, would you say and consider yourself an aggressive hunter? I have never been an aggressive hunter until the last season. Mm. This past season, I, I, I was always the guy that tried to play the long game, which always narrowed me down to maybe one or two deer and one chance a season at an animal. Mm -hmm. Now I made me two seasons ago, made me realize, okay, I'm getting like 12, 13, 14, 15 shooters on camera. You know, I got to be more aggressive. Who cares if I burn one, if I bump one, if I uh, screw up on one? I have how many more to make to throw another chance at? So, you know, instead of playing a long game and sitting back and waiting for that perfect time, I'm going in there trying. This past as I went in there, I formulated plans and went after it. So, yes, now I am an aggressive hunter. You know, it was just years of missed opportunities I felt that, you know, culminated in me saying i have to make a drastic change to my style yep yep i love it man i um was pretty much in the same boat until about probably i don't know i would say probably about five years ago i just threw caution to the wind i said i right, whatever i don't care i'm just gonna go and hunt if i want to hunt right there and i know that or think that you know my thermals my wind might be right i'm going in there if i burn them up burn them up if not you know i'll move on to another deer and honestly I've been very, very successful um, being a lot more aggressive. Now, mm-hmm. I will say there's a whole difference. You know, uh, on public land, I mean, I don't care. I'm moving around. I mean, I'm not going to go in and mess somebody up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like we were talking before, I, if I know somebody's in there, I'm not that guy. But yeah, I'm not, you know, going to tiptoe like I do on the private land that I hunt, which I think sometimes the private land I hunt is, is way harder to hunt than the game lands because – it's it's tiptoeing on everybody else because they're in their hunting and you don't want to mess them up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know. That's I love the freedom of hunting the game lands. There's just such a vast amount of, of, of land. And, you know, our state is – dude, we, we got it so good. Like when you talk to some other people, they're like, dude, I can't believe your house, you know, where you live at, you can't go – 10 miles without hitting a different track to game lands and i'm like i know yeah <laughs> it's crazy yeah yeah so um but you know your season this year man uh you were on a, sh- a shit ton of good deer early 
And, you yeah. know, you knew they were there from the year before. So let's go ahead, man, right into your season. Go ahead and, and, and fill us in on how it kind of went last year and what you were looking at, like early season into your, you know, how, how you were trying to get ready for the archery season. Well, my prep uh, this past season was uh, <clears throat> just I found spots two seasons before, and I just kind of like cultivated them into, you know, these spots I was going to hunt this past season. I'm like, all right, I went in there. I let my camera soak for a complete year without even hunting the spot. Mm. And I got the information I needed to go in and make game plans without even stepping foot into the area. So uh, I waited and waited and waited until like August and set cameras in those areas. I doctored up scrapes that I had already found, um, set cameras up in those areas because putting them in on scrapes and trails and uh, signpost rubs right around like August, September timeframe, I know the batteries will last, you know, all the way through the season. So I put that stuff out, uh, like I said, doctored the scrapes and then just checked the cameras as I hunted the areas. Um, I, I lie. I set cameras out in August and then July 1st, I went in and redid scrapes and checked cameras. I will say that, that that's, you know, I remember that. And then I got an inventory of who was who in what area. And mm -hmm. then I started making plans from there. And as the season progressed early in the season, I was really mainly focused on trying to get a doe. That didn't pan out for some reason. The last two seasons, I couldn't buy a doe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see them, but I just can't get a shot. It's just either the, the big bitch in front picks me out and leads them astray or, you know, they're just out of range. So, yeah. you know, <clears throat> I got to find a, a fix for that because I won't meet my freezer more than anything. But as far as bucks go, um, yeah, I, I want to say within the first week of archery season, I had already seen 10 bucks and one shooter and the rest were, uh, smaller bucks, you know, uh, either it, they were illegal or, you know, basket bucks that, uh, you know, I wanted to get through to the next season. Mm -hmm. So, then comes mid-October. Now, I hunted a spot that I call Scrape City. And uh, it was October, might have been 20, I think it was October 23rd, uh, is when I hunted Scrape City the first time because because of historical data I gathered from the seasons that I just ran cameras and didn't hunt the area. There was always a period of uh, activity, daylight activity of mature bucks moving through that area at that particular time. So knowing that, I on October 22nd was a Sunday, I think, and me and my dad snuck down and in there and set up, you know, my stand and everything. We had everything set up. All I needed to do was bring my backpack, my bow, my arrows, and I was good to go. Mm -hmm. So we snuck down in, set everything up. The next morning, I was up there 90 minutes before first light, set up in my stand, didn't spook anything. Everything was perfect, except for I forgot my release. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's like that's the best. <laughs> so I'm up there probably two miles by truck and then parked and unloaded my bike and then probably another mile and a half on the bike and then another seven hundred yards walk in the wood to get to this spot. And I tell my dad, I texted him, I was like, I did something really stupid and I need you to bring my release up to uh, the break-off point where I go down into the woods. Uh 
Mm-hmm. And he goes, you better hope a big one don't show up. I'm like, don't you put that evil on me. <laughs> don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> and uh, he just laughed and he's like, I'll be up there at nine o'clock. I'll use this as my morning walk. So I, I said I was going to get down at 830 and sneak up, you know, to the break off point, meet him, grab my release and then sneak back down in. I was going to sit the rest of the whole day. And sure enough, 8.30 rolls around, I'm getting my stuff ready to, to climb down, and I hear a grunt. And I'm like, no, not now. Please not now. <laughs> and here comes a deer. It's a doe, and she's grunting. She's making little doe grunts. I'm like, is that, the, is that really the deer I heard? And then I heard the deep grunt that I initially heard uh-huh. right behind her, and I saw him coming down the path. I'm like, son of a bitch. I'm sure enough, here comes this 18 plus wide, heavy, gigantic body, mature freaking eight point right behind her. And he stops 20 yards, broadside, wide open, not knowing anything that's going on. I'm just like, this is what happens. This is what happens. I am humbled. God humbled me. So I made a plan. I executed it. It worked all the way up until the point where I just had a, had a brain fart and forgot my release. So that happened there. And then after that, I had a, uh, a trip to Kentucky with my buddy Justin Sinan down in, uh, down in Kentucky there with him. Uh, spent the week there. Saw some great bucks. Uh, nice bucks, but the big boys were about uh, a week off. You know, they weren't quite moving yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I passed on one buck down there that I would have definitely, you know, poleaxed in freaking Pennsylvania. It was a big, heavy six-point. Small brows, but big, giant-wise, super heavy. And uh, he was coming down on this piece of public we were hunting, and he came off this little knob. And, again, 23 yards, broadside looking the other way. I had him. I could have been at full draw. He was looking complete opposite, but I had one more day left and I was like, I got to give it a shot down here. So he got the professional courtesy. And then, uh, after Kentucky, I came back and I had plans to go to Ohio in May, but when I came back, it was on everywhere in every one of my spots. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. And I kept thinking in my head, I'm not leaving deer to find deer. So I'm going to just, I'm going to stay in Pennsylvania and focus on this. And I'm, I kind of regret not going to Maine, and I kind of regret not going to Ohio. But at the same time, the knowledge I learned in Pennsylvania over the next couple of weeks was just immense and priceless. So as uh, my season progressed in PA, I made plan after plan after plan, and it all worked out. Every time I went into these spots, my plans worked out to the 90th, 95th percentile. I just couldn't get that last 5% luck of getting a shot off. Now, the one day it did happen, it was November 8th. Was it November 8th? Yeah, it was November 8th, actually. And I uh, <laughs> I had a buck come in. I was same spot, Grape City, going after that same mature buck that I had a run in with before. And uh, sitting there gets light out, 7.30 comes. I saw a few deer moving through, a few does moving through, and then all of a sudden I heard a grunt up on the ridge. I'm like, uh-oh. So I hit my bleak can a few times, 
And then I hear him coming. I'm like, all right, come on down to the prices, right, bitch. You're getting it. <laughs> he comes right down to the scrape I overmarked and have a cell phone camera on. Puts on the full display, ripping it up, tearing it to shreds, comes down the exact same trail I planned this out, you know, months and months and months ago. It just, he read the script. I drew back, stopped him at 15 yards, and as soon as I released, he freaking ducked and I hit nothing but freaking tenderloin. I actually, I think I hit maybe one lung just because the way he dropped him, the angle, or maybe the broadhead ricochet. There was thick, bubbly blood mm-hmm. on on the arrow right. at, at one point. And then we followed him for about, I don't know, 300 yards, and then blood just disappeared. After the season, I pulled cameras in an area about a mile away, and I found them on camera working scrapes and chasing those. And I could see where I hit them. So, I, I think I only, I think I got one lung, and you know they've been known to survive on that. Oh yeah. So, Especially in a mature animal. I mean, uh, we never, we never give the white-tailed deer enough credit for what it deserves. I mean, people hit. Oh, they're, they're tanks. I'm telling you, man. People hit them with their cars going 70 mile an hour. You know, and they roll, they they fucking, they go 50 yards away from where you hit them and they get up and they go in the woods and they live like Marcus, I have pictures of a buck I shot back in 2007. He came running right up the mountain to me on a deer drive. My dad put on and I dropped him when we skinned him out. He had a broken spine. The, 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 The actual spine was snapped, but I guess the spinal cord didn't incur damage or something, but the spine was broken. I'll send you pictures of it yeah, for awesome. proof, but I just thought to myself, and his jaw was broken. I'm like, he had to have gotten hit by a car. Yeah. That's the only thing I could think of, but like you said, how they just find the will to survive. Mm-hmm. It's funny it's though, incredible. man, because you know, there are other deer that I've seen killed and been around that like just didn't have that will, you know? Yeah. Like they, yeah. they just weren't strong willed. Like they, you see what killed him and you're like, man, I've, I've hit deer like this and you know, they didn't bleed very well or they just didn't mm-hmm. quit running. And you know, you knew that they lived because you were getting pictures of them later on in the year or whatever. But I'm telling you, like you said, I mean, God, they're just so tough, especially a mature mm-hmm. whitetail, especially like a mature buck. You know, people, they're like, I can't believe man. I, I, you know, I know I put a good shot on that deer and he's not laying up here. And that's why I tell him, look, don't just jump out of your tree stand and go and track the deer because I don't know how many times I've been on, you know, uh, you get that panic call. Can you help? Can you come help? Yeah. Well, what, yep. well, what happened? Well, I shot, you know, and then I went down and then he jumped up and I'm like, oh, here we go. You know? Yep. So Been there. But as the season kept going, like I said, I, I had all these great encounters. I 50, 51 buck encounters. Now there's probably, there's some repeats in there, but still I, I had 51 buck encounters, numerous does and seven mature giants that were all within range. that I just didn't get a shot on, you know, like I, I picked the spot. I picked, you know, the, the, the best conditions for that area. Mm-hmm. I went in and it worked out. It just, I just didn't get a shot. And, yeah. you know, but that's a huge self-confidence boost that I'm, that I'm still riding off of, okay, I'm able to make these game plans and, you know, implement them and they work. Mm-hmm. So obviously I know what I'm doing a little bit. So that gave me confidence, but it was in pulling cameras after the season 
where I had already several years of camera history on and what I saw with my own eyes, I now know which areas, you know, pop off hot in the rut first. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, this spot is good from, you know, October 20th till the first week of November. And then this spot, they're not cruising that ridge until this week because it's the same consistent activity within that week, year to year to year on my cameras Mm -hmm. and what I actually saw myself. So now I can strike with a lot more precision, I feel. You know, I'm not even going to bother with that ridge until that week. Yep. So Yeah, that's that information you have, you know, the – the reason a lot of people don't get that information is because they just they don't have the patience to do what you've done to get that information, you know? Yeah. They're not going to put that all together and go back and see. And I even this past year, you know, just a quick example for for what happened for me is I've been running cameras on this one ridge for the last 4 years. Mm-hmm. What I've come to find out is that the the bucks are there heavy on my on my mock scrapes only for the first week and a half, two weeks of the season. After that, that pressure must just get them the hell out of there. Now, that the signs there and the nocturnal activities there, but the daytime activity is gone. It's they're just they're moving away from the pressure. They're just yep. moving away to where there is no human pressure. Doesn't necessarily mean they're not that they're nocturnal. They're moving in daylight just further back, and by the time they get to your cameras mm-hmm. again, it's dark. Right. Yep. So, yep. And so what I've, you know, really decided is if I'm going to, if I'm going to hunt a deer, you know, in that spot, I'm going to hunt them as early as possible, you know, absolutely. and then, yeah. you know, move on to the spots that I, that I know and, and the tried and true areas, uh, you know, or a good example is the one clear cut that I'll be trying to hunt on this year. That clear cut will be going on five years old this year. And right for me, nasty right and it's pr- that's primed it's ready you know that's that for me that's going to be there's a there's a nice transition in between that clear cut and another clear cut that's about eight years old but you know there's there's a funnel there there's a bench there i mean a lot of stuff comes together in that location um but you know like you were saying um you know i just want to get right into one of uh one of the examples that happened to me this year and what that was was I usually start my scouting on uh, like the south south side southwest side you know your mm-hmm. anything where your prevailing wind's going to be and and here that is that is your leeward side for your prevailing wind and mm-hmm. you know obviously that you got the sun you got everything going you got a better fuel you know uh, foliage and everything um, mm-hmm. but it just so happens I I seen a buck I I forgot my release just like you did. <laughs> I I got I got to my spot. I got out of my truck. I'm getting ready to go in the woods and I'm like son of a bitch. So I get back in my truck, I go back up the hill and and one of the big bucks I have on camera, it crossed he he crossed the road in front of me like a big fu. Like get the fuck like you know, I'm like oh. so I swing in. I knew I had an extra release in my truck. It's just not one that I shoot with all the time. So I'm like, you know, if he's trailing a doe, I might be able to stalk this deer and get around him. So I swing in, grab my bow, you know, I go mm-hmm. r- running, trying to circle up around him. And he didn't really care that I was there. So I thought, you know, and I tried to work my way and cut him off. Well, whether I jumped that deer or not, I'm not sure. 
but I worked, I was on the north side then. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I was probably, you know, 500 yards from the road from where I'd parked the truck. Well, I pulled my binoculars up and I thought I'd seen a, a, a big rub line. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to have to walk down in there. So I did. I seen a rub line on my binoculars. I walked down in and it just, the sign just kept getting better and better and, 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 you know, more, I don't know if it was so fresh that it, it was, you know, he had just left it cause it was just mm-hmm. tore up in there. And finally I come to a spot where it was probably a quarter of the way up from where the hill starts. And there was like a heavy, it could have been man-made. I'm not sure, but there was a bench there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hunt a lot of stuff that real similar to what you hunt. Like it's a lot of old reclaimed mine shit. Um, you know, I'm like, son of a bitch, here it is. This has to be his bed. There's a big bed there. You know, there's four mm-hmm. or five giant rubs real close to where that was. And, you know, I I said, okay, well, I'm going to hunt this, you know, <laughs> son of a bitch. So the day after, I went in. I went in around, well, it was probably like 1230 or so. And I said, you know, I'm going to hang right here. I found a good spot, had a tree marked. I went in. And I should have got there a little bit earlier, I guess, because I got halfway up the tree. And what do you think happened? <laughs> yep. Here he comes. And I just wasn't, I, yeah, there was nothing I could do. You know, he kind of seen me. I wasn't mm-hmm. really ready. I had shit hanging off of me, you know, and I just tried to pull my bow up. And I was ready, but he just knew something was up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, but it's one of them things like, I just kind of got complacent on the one spot that I was looking at because I knew they that they were moving through there. When realistically, mm-hmm. all I had to do was probably walk another, honestly, probably another thousand yards, eight hundred yards on the other side of the road, and I probably would have been on that deer in a better location. But you know, lessons don't, learned. Yeah, lessons learned, man. Lessons learned. You know, and uh, I got a, a pretty good example um, for lessons learned this past season. I uh, <clears throat> went back down into Scrape City, I don't know, probably four or five days after I hit that buck. Uh, I was getting a lot of camera action, a lot of cell phone camera action in there. Like, even the day after I was in there searching for that buck. I actually looked for that buck for, like, three days. Couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the whole time I'm still getting action on my cameras, on my Scrape cameras. So I'm like, all right, I'm going back in it, down in there. Screw it. So I go back down in there. And, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> it's about 11 o'clock. I get into a spot. I moved maybe about 150 yards from my original shot and, uh, 150 yards. I get in this tree and I notice as I get up higher, all the shitty black gum trees that are there have like a million, you know, branches. I can't get up high because the higher I go, the less shots I have to almost to, to no shots. Mm-hmm. So my stand height is six and a half feet. Okay. Um, in a tree that's big enough to, to hide my outline, to conceal my outline, and I have big giant patches of laurels all around me. So I got good breakup. And I get all my stuff together. I hang my bow, put my release on the freaking D loop, put the arrow on the knot, or knock the arrow on the string. And literally, as soon as I did that, I just looked up the ridge, and here he comes down. It's that same one that I forgot my release on. I'm like, oh, (laughs) you're toast. (laughs) And he's coming down, and he hits this trail that's going to take him eight yards from me. Eight yards. I'm like, if I smoke him at eight yards from six feet up, I'm going to do a backflip out of the stand. 
I'm like, he's, he's toast. He has no clue I'm here. I have super, super good breakup. So it was breezy too. And the wind was in my face. I'm like, done deal. He's, he's, he's murked. So he's coming down, coming down, coming down. And he slows up once he hits the flat and he's just like slowly meandering through and he's at 35 yards now. And, uh, I have a laurel brush between me and him, but I could see him still very well. And uh, sure enough, he steps out on the other side of that laurel brush and immediately does like a backflip and starts, you know, just completely cartwheels, goes to the base of the freaking ridge and then just starts walking away. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Oh, and there, the wind was still in my face, still in my favor. The whole freaking time I could feel it in my face. I'm like, there was no swirl. There's no distinct land features that would cause it to do that. No water, no boulders or anything that would draw thermals. I'm like, what is, what is, what the hell is going on here? I'm messaging all my friends and they're giving me every reason in the book, what it could have been. And I'm like, and I'm eliminate those reasons. And I'm like, what is it? And I look down the fucking backpack straps from my freaking lone wolf were twisting and twirling in the wind. <laughs> oh boy. Yep. yep. So that unnatural movement freaked him out. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the only thing that plausible in my mind. I didn't wrap them up, you know, amongst the amongst the stand. Yep. Fuck, man. So I've been there. Lesson learned. I have been there, and I learned my lesson the hard way. Luckily, it wasn't a big buck that got me on that, but I never thought of that. And I had a small buck come in, and I was 18 feet. You know, and he mm-hmm. looked and he just pegged me. And I'm like, what? How? You know, I was up. I was above him. You know, mm-hmm. where he was kind of on a bench and I was above him. And it was, you know, sunny out. I didn't figure it to be the thermals or anything. And I'm like, how the hell did he see me? And, you know, what I did was I left to stand up and I got down. I looked up and as soon as I got down, I said, oh, I mean, there it is. You yep. know, so what I started doing, what I do is I carry uh, them like the the rubbers is twist ties the gear ties the gear tie yep 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 and i just i just wrap them up to the back side of where the teeth are and yeah i learned my lesson on that one too man that sucks that you know like that's like you laid everything on the line everything's all systems go right you flipped all the switches you know check 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 mm-hmm. and then like something something like that yeah Man, that's yeah. that's tough. You know, uh, it was. I'll tell you, uh, and I'll make this quick. Um, this year, what happened to me was uh, archer season. My dad and I were in, in Ohio. Um, we have a spot that we call Old Faithful in the one in the one area, and he he loves hunting in there. And he he shot a buck the first day that we were in there. I seen a nice ten point. He was moving too fast. I just couldn't couldn't get get him to stop or really get a good draw on him. And um, I just. I sat there all day and I didn't see another deer all day. And I said, well, you know, I'm just going to go there again in the morning. Went in the morning, nothing, you know, one o'clock, something just told me like, you know, just, just get aggressive. Screw this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I did, and I found a really good spot. Um, I put some miles on with my back, with my, uh, my gear, you know, and I found a spot. I found a big rub on a point where it was kind of flat. And I kind of figured like, there's got to be a big buck moving through here. You know, this point sounded kind of secluded, you know, um, the doe bedding has got to be on this little saddle that's down in below here. 
I think I can catch mm-hmm. him moving through here. And it just didn't feel right. You know, I, I said, you know what? I'm I'm going to I'm going to go hunt the same freaking spot that my dad shot that buck. You know, and some people would be like, oh, you're crazy. You know, like he shot that deer and he gutted it in there and all that shit. And depending on the time of the year, all bets are fucking off. Right. Right. And and I'm talking, this is, this is the 6th, 7th of November is about when it was. Yeah. All bets are off at that point in time. Right. I, and, and the reason, the reason why I wanted to go back there so bad was because when I, he, he likes to hunt ladder stands. So mm-hmm. we have like a one that's not very heavy. I, I lug it in wherever he wants it. We hang that some bitch up and he's a straight killer. I mean, he just kills shit. So. Yeah. We went in to hang that stand up. It was just polluted with sign. I mean, everything was just rubbed up, broken off. I mean, aggressive shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I knew, I knew they were running it. There's, there's a bench system there, and there's like a real good, um, kind of like it hog backs out, and they, they come up out of this, this hill, and it's, it's super steep. But where they can come up, you know, it's like the only spot that they, that's not that hard for them to come up over the hill. Yeah, and um. So he shot that buck in there, whatever. I didn't give a shit. I said, you know, whatever. I said, I'm going up there. He's like, oh, I'm surprised you want to go there. I said, I'm just going to go in there and hang and hunt the evening, and then I'm going to go in there and hunt in the morning. I'm thinking that evening's kind of shot already. It was like 3.30. You know, it got – it was – that time of the year was getting dark at like 6 or so, yeah. you know, 6.30, whatever it was. So, like, not a lot of time for me to walk in, get up in the tree, you know, all that stuff. Now, granted, we all know it only takes a couple seconds, but – um, I got in there, there's a big beech tree and he was hunting right beside the beech tree. Well, this beech tree has got a whole shit ton of limbs the whole way to the mm-hmm. bottom of it, you know? And so what I did is I walked down past that and there was another beech tree there, but I could get into the tree beside the beech tree and there wasn't a whole bunch of limbs below it. Well, I was afraid the deer was going to come up closer to where I was going to walk down. So I was like, wow, all the signs up there, you know, I I don't want to go down that far. So what happened was I walked about 15 yards past the tree that I originally picked to hunt when I walked in. So then I was like, fuck it, I'll walk back. So I walked back up. I climbed the tree um, that I first picked. I literally pulled my bow up and I turned my head and I'm like, son of a bitch, here he comes. I get my release on. I'm like, oh, that's a nice eight point, you know, about 125 inch eight point, eight point. It's a nice deer. and dude i mean he come in on a you know on a just on a line i mean he he was coming right in i would have shot that deer 10 yards but he had to take a couple more steps to get past that beech tree limb and i might have been able to to fandangle my body a little bit maybe and try to squeeze one off right before that but you know i'm thinking there's the opening you know all you got to do is step into that and he's dead and you know what that deer did? That son of a bitch, he caught my ground scent like it was nobody's business and i wasn't Mm -hmm. even thinking about it when he come in you know I just yep. I was like, oh, you know, it's gonna happen. And then when he when he hit it, I knew what happened immediately. And you know, I thought about it, and I'm like, you know, I don't. It's been like, fuck, I don't know. I I quit wearing like the rubber boots probably a couple years ago just because of how many miles I put on, and how yeah. and how mobile I am. You know, um, mm-hmm. I ran those muck pursuit boots for a long time, and yeah. they're, they're like super light. They're rubber boots, but my feet don't really like not having laces, you know, like the mm. kind of like a heel lock system in it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. So I said, you know, I, I should have tried something. I should have, you know, tried to put some freaking deer dander. I've heard of guys putting smoke yes. on their, you know, I don't know. I, 
listen, listen. What I do with my boots, it's religious. Some may think it's stupid, but I've seen deer walk right over my tracks. I had friends witness it as well. I use deer dander on my pant legs, you know, material deer dander. Mm-hmm. I use that on my pant legs all the way down to the tops of my boots. And then I go ahead and I use Evercom on the, the sides of my boots where the rubber comes up and meets the leather. Mm-hmm. I use that there and on the, on the sole of my boot. Yeah. Now, whether or not that can completely cover up my scent, I don't think so. Deer can smell like six different scents at once. Oh, yeah. I think of it like we smell pizza, the deer smelling the ingredients, the particular ingredient. That's oh, how yeah. I think of it as. And I think maybe you can drown out your scent just enough to confuse them or make them think, okay, well, I smells like there is a deer here. Was it here? You know, but and there was also somebody else here. There was also, you know, human scent, foreign scent, whatever it is, you know, scent that, that, that makes me nervous, but I don't know how old it is. Yep. And there's fresher, there's fresher deer scent here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, that's how I'm thinking in my mind. It, I could be wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it, it gives me confidence in using it. So that's why I use it. Yeah. No, I, I, I have the Evercom stuff and I have gone that route. And I and I probably, I may have even had it in my truck, you know, to, to use. And, you yeah. know, you're just, I was moving around like that. And I'm like, man, you know, just, it sucks, you know, because I'm just like you. We put so much time in. For that oh, yeah. for that one moment that when it doesn't happen mm-hmm. you're like son of a bitch but you learn you'd, and that's what we're talking about you know yeah yeah you I told so many people this year like I said I had seven encounters with monsters where it was just like you die a little inside you know <laughs> yeah. because like you said you pour your heart and soul into it thousands of miles and hours and doing this and it's just like you know that moment comes up and it doesn't work out and it's just like that little piece of your breaks off. Yeah. But, you know, to me, that's what keeps me coming back for more. Yeah. So. Yeah, man, that, that is. That's, if it wasn't hard, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be sitting here on a podcast, and we wouldn't be so freaking excited talking about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I do want to circle back to one thing you mentioned earlier. You know, you said you called that one spot Scrape City. And can you mm-hmm. kind of paint that picture, what that kind of looks like? Oh. Uh... Scrape City is a spot that has upwards of 20-some-odd scrapes in, I think it's like 130-acre like, area. It's, it's just like a really confined area with, like I said, o- over 20 scrapes. We'll just put it that way. And most of them are actually in like a way smaller area than that. You know, maybe 300 yards wide, there's the majority of the scrapes and they're all big scrapes. Mm-hmm. And I think in my particular opinion, it's also at the start of an, uh, a spring, you know, that, that spring only wells up when there's a shit ton of rain, but for the most part, it's usually dry. Um, but I believe, and you know, my buddy Tim agrees with me that that particular area is where multiple mature bucks like, core areas kind of like overlap that's why we were seeing so many shooters in that particular area that actual uh big eight that i had two encounters with he was running off bucks with bigger racks 
out of that area. He's the bully buff guy. That's what I've been calling him because he actually broke off uh, the rack of a six and a half year old buck I was after that ended up getting shot in rifle season. But Scrape City is probably one of my better spots. Um, as far as the feed wise, um, there's there's oaks there. There's lots of black gum, which are pretty much useless. But it's a natural flat with lots of uh, uh, herbaceous layer there. There's lots of digging around where they're getting a lot of the herbaceous layer, eating that up. Uh, this year, they said there's a lot of acorns and uh, green briar. That's abound throughout the whole region, like barbed wire. Uh, I think what else? Yeah, that's that's about it. I mean, it's a, it's a bench coming down into or it's just a yeah a bench that a spring rolls up at, and for some reason they just scrape the shit out of the area. I've never seen that many scrapes in a collective area before. Now, so. what are what are most of the scrapes underneath, like the the tree selection that they have? Is it pretty much the same types of trees or laurel? Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Frickin' laurel. There's one scrape that's actually under an oak tree, the, an overhanging branch in a, a briar, uh, not a briar, but a blueberry, uh, like an open area of blueberry where it's real thick up to your like, frickin' waist. Mm-hmm. And there's like this one lone oak tree out in the middle of this blueberry field, and it's just frickin' scrape under it, big giant scrape right under it. And, uh, but the rest of it, it's all laurel. And my buddy Tim mentioned, I guess, I don't understand why they're scraping under that. We're doing something that they can. Right. Right. So. You know what? That that makes sense, though. You know, I mean, I know for my, my area, you know, I'll, if I see a beech tree kind of tucked away, like, in the middle of, of an opening boom. or something. Yeah, same, I'm, I'm running to it. I know that. Same, same thing here. We get the odd beech tree. I can see that beech tree. I'd be like, I know there's a scrape there. Yeah. And I guarantee you there's probably tine marks in the trunk. Yep. I don't know why they—they're a fucking magnet. Yeah, they love them. And what I—well, I—I've kind of put two and two together with those, and I've thought of you know countless hours in a tree stand, thinking why would they scrape underneath? It? And one reason I come up with is you know they hold their leaves pretty long. Yeah, they—they they do eat the—they do eat the, the leaves and whatnot, so they—they they hold it right. longer. Right. That and that makes sense with that laurel though. You know what I mean? That's that stuff. I mean, that'll, that'll hold some of them leaves. You're round. They'll eat laurel if it's like right. desperate times for desperate measures. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah. for some reason, I, was, I don't know. Maybe it's the only thing that they have opportunities to rub on or just leave their scent on to, to yeah. scrape, you know, make liquor breaks. But that's what the majority of the scrapes I'm finding are under. So, yeah. I, like I said, I, I try to think about why but I, you can only go down that rabbit hole so far when you just say fuck it i'm gonna just make plans on it yeah yeah that's for sure man that's pretty cool though i i've seen that a couple times you know i'm not gonna say that's something that i've never seen it's just for that many in one area you know yeah mm-hmm. I, I would say i agree with you it's probably they don't they don't have anything else to be leaving their scent on so that's what's getting it but um yeah. uh if you find a hemlock there's probably going to be a scrape under it mm-hmm. i i don't find uh i don't find scrapes under too many other tree other like pine tree type pines you know mm-hmm. conifers i find them mainly under hemlocks yeah um same other than laurel yep yeah 
yeah, they, they're, they're their own animal, you know, like it, it's so funny. Cause like a lot of the animals, like on my private ground, they just, if they're sumac trees, they just maul them. I mean, they just mm-hmm. maul the shit out of them. And I think it's because they're soft, you know? Could and, be, yeah. And I, I think that might feel a little bit better, like getting their velvet off and stuff. And then once they have their velvet off, they already have that scent on there, so they just keep nailing it. You know? Could be. Very well could be. Uh, most of the rubs I find up here are on hemlock. Yeah. Again, same thing. Hemlocks. Mm. And where do you find hemlocks? Usually near water. Yep. yep. You know? Bottoms. and so, Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably... Thermal hub areas and everything, you know. I mean, they're probably mauled up. Um, but yeah, man, you know, we're back to what we were saying with with silver linings and stuff. Uh, you know, I I have to say, the other things that that I've learned a lot about um, in in failure is just how to, I guess, gather myself when when that moment's coming around. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I can honestly say, man, shit, like some of the deer that I killed and I know I've talked to other people and they are like, yeah, same here. Like, I just don't even remember how it went down. Like they come in, you pull your bow back and you're like, I can't remember squeezing off and watching it happen. It's like, it's like the adrenaline rush was just so much at that moment. Like, it's like you just blacked out. (laughs) Like, I mean, I, I used to experiment. I'm not trying to sound like fucking egotistical or cocky or anything like that. When I first started bow hunting, I was exactly like that. Like I, I shoot at a deer and my dad's like, well, did you hit it? I don't know. I don't remember anything. <laughs> right. You know? And my buddy Luke just had that happen not this past season, but the season before first day he was out, he shoots at a giant and he can't remember specifics of the shot. I mean, I, I, I get that. You know, the adrenaline rush, everything is just boom. It just clouds your brain. Yeah. I, I remember everything like now, like I, because I was a kid, I missed a fuck ton. So it was just like <laughs> I got that out of my system. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now it's now it's straight business. Yeah. I do know one thing: I need to settle down and start aiming low. I have to aim at the bottom of the heart every time, the lowest killing point. Because these deer, you know, when I'm up close and in person with them, you know, if I if I have to stop them, whatnot, they're already on edge. So I'm I. I can't let one duck me again. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the second time this has happened in, you know, probably 10 years. I, I can't let that happen again. So it's definitely going to be a lot more practice, a lot more concentration and calming myself down for when the mom- moment of truth happens. Yeah, man. I I have had giant deer, two separate occasions, giant deer duck my arrows. And that's, you don't think, I mean, I know, like you said, the one, he was probably only 15 yards from me. I watched him duck mm-hmm. it, and I'm like, what the fuck? What happened? Like, how, how did that happen? Well, one thing was I stopped him. And when mm-hmm. I stopped him, I mean, he didn't look at me. He was looking through me. But, you know, I mean, at that moment, I should have, you know, like you said, there's, there it is. I should have aimed low. I should have known better, you know. And yep. we got really lucky. I, I actually missed that deer, and that deer, my dad and I were only hunting about 300 yards apart. He actually shot that deer right after I missed it. Um, but I mean, how many times that happened? I probably never again, but, um, yeah, but yeah, it's once again, though, I'm sitting here, we're talking about it and I'm like, you know, I know, I know what I can do moving forward. I know how I can go about being better on that. And we can sit here, right. And and we can talk about it 
And uh, like you said, you can tell me, hey, you know, here's what I do to, to help breathe during the shot or try to calm myself or whatever. But, like, if I'm a new green hunter, just like, like your friend or whoever else, like, yep. until they do it, like, you can tell them that, but they're not really going to grasp what you're saying until it happens mm-hmm. and then you're they're gonna yeah. be like oh yeah i see exactly what you mean it's all gonna click then yes yeah so some of them are kind of like the intangibles they're kind of unteachable if you will and you know we we like to sit here and talk on the podcast and we hope that people can gather and take some sort of value from it but at the same time like until you experience <laughs> it you know you won't you won't really fully grasp it right right so it it's it's a great topic to talk about man but um Moving forward in our conversation a little bit, you know, I do want you to talk about what you do for your mock scrapes, right? Like, what does that look like when you go in, here's a spot, you think that, hey, you know, I might want to put a mock scrape here, or maybe there's an existing scrape and you want to freshen it up with your own stuff. Kind of give me the rundown on on what your process is. Okay, so when I first started getting into the whole scrape things, I was making mock scrapes. I had some success with them. You know, I killed a buck over a mock scrape. Um, I will tell you, I kind of drifted away from mock scrapes. Now, the only time I will make a mock scrape nowadays is if I know a buck is using a specific bedding area. Mm-hmm. Now, again, they can have several bedding areas, and especially in, in where I'm hunting, it's tough because they're like, oh, well, we find the security cover. The whole mountain is the security cover, mm-hmm. all right? And there's no specific bed-to-feeding pattern simply because there's no agriculture in, in the, you know, vicinity so they're just getting up browsing around you know eating whatever's available whether it be acorns whether it be you know their base layer whether it be you know witch hazel or what or greenbrier you know they there's food everywhere so there's no like direct pattern to going to food and then back to bed right so they can pretty much plop down wherever they want. And I've seen that just randomly seen the buck just randomly, just there's no reason for him to bed there. There's no real tactical advantage except for, you know, the wind was blowing that direction at that point. You know, um, there are, you know, topographical features you can start look for. Then you can like kind of, okay, they may favor this bedding area, but they'll have three or four of those spots along that Ridge. So if I know there's one specifically, using those areas, I will put a mock scrape where I know the wind will push that and thermos will carry that into his face. So that's kind of drawing him out. It's just going to, that smell and that scent is of another mystery buck that he doesn't know is going to keep whacking him in the face. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do recent, uh, or the last couple of years, I really honed in on overmarking scrapes. I'll find these big existing scrapes, and they don't even have to be big sometimes. One of my best producing scrapes is maybe about three feet long. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that big, but I have multiple mature bucks coming to it. And I will go ahead and wear rubber gloves. I make myself a new looking branch, or I'll just take the existing one. I get twine, I wrap it around that branch, and then I use Smokies deer lures. I don't like really like synthetics because you don't know what it's in, what's in it. But then it may not be legal. So I know he has a patented preorbital, a natural preorbital gland that he gets from the deer. He told me about the process, how he goes about extracting it, and so on and so forth. So I know what I'm using. So I use the preorbital gland on one little tiny bee, 
on uh, the looking branch on one uh, twine ball, and then I'll put another one on a adjacent branch, and I'll put forehead glands in there because when you're looking at a buck, watching him work the branch, he's rubbing his face all in there, so he's getting preorbital stink in there, and he's also getting forehead glands in there. Mm-hmm. Then when he's pawing at the dirt in the digital gland, there's a gland between the toes of the hoof. Right there, every time he's hitting that ground, and the digital gland sense being deposited. And if it's a sexy time, you know, period in the, in the, in October, I'll start adding tarsal gland to it mm-hmm. to get a, a reaction. So, like I said, I will overmark scrapes more often than not. Yeah. So yeah. I find I get because you think about it, the bucks coming by. He knows who's ever using that scrape. He knows, okay, I can smell, I smell this deer. I can put that to that deer. He's, he knows all the deer in the area. He's seen them. He smelled them. He knows whose scent that is in that scrape. You go ahead and come along with your, with your scents. You're adding an imaginary buck to that picture. Mm-hmm. You're adding a mystery buck. He's going to be like, who the hell is this? Mm-hmm. All right. Now I'm going to start coming to this spot yep. a little bit more. Right. Just because I want to know who this is. This is making me curious, and it's making me pissed. Mm-hmm. So even if that detracts him another extra five minutes out of the day, that's that extra five minutes you may need to put one through him. Yep. Yep. That's that's the game, brother. It's a lot of fun, though, like, you know, doing what you're doing. Um, that's what I like to do is not so much make a new scrape, right, but like you said, overmark them and, and, mm-hmm. and really, really piss them off, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I I have a pretty good story in pictures one year. Um, I would go back once a week, and I was just working this buck just because I was having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't real far from the road, so I could go in. And it's not usually something I do is go and play with something like that, but I just had this deer. Like every, It was like every it's time an, I went in, like he would get there earlier and earlier and earlier. It's an edge and that's an educational moment right there. Like you said, you may not necessarily be hunting it, but you can learn from it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You can learn a lot if you if you know what you're doing. And actually, you know, as hard as it is and as much as it sucks, like for time-wise, you know, some of my cameras I run on video mode just because I like to watch, you know, their body language and how they're acting in a super, in certain area or even I, which direction they're coming in. You know what I mean? Uh, agreed. Agreed. I, I think if you're in a really hot spot with scrapes, and you don't have it on video mode. I think you're, you, I think you're fucking up. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent Like you said, and you can really, it's funny, but you you can watch the body language on a deer and kind of know what their mo is, what their demeanor. Yeah, what is. the yeah, what the demeanor is, because every deer is individually different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have uh, I have one that I've been after for quite a few years called the Berserker Buck. His mo is that he will break shit off. Like every licking branch I make. He snaps it right off, yeah. and then I just go back in and tie it right back on, and I'll add the one time I went in there, and he smashed four of my scrapes with my cameras over it, watching. He tore the licking branches right off, so I went in there, retied the licking branch up, recented it up, and then I added parcel this time. And the, the biggest scrape, every tree, every little sapling that was in a 20-yard radius was either snapped off or just tore to shit. So I'm like, okay, he's an aggressive buck. He's probably uh, king dick in the area. Yeah, I mean, so. and, and you know, the other thing is that's the kind of buck that, you know, you get in a situation where 
at least for me, like I'm, I'm not one to go and grab my grunt call much. I mean, that's for me, usually my grunts, it's, it's desperation. Like that yeah. animal's moving away from me. I feel like I don't have another chance or, you know, like it's, it's crunch time or whatnot. Like I'm going to go for it. And cause I've scared, I have scared a lot of, of bucks, you know, yeah. in Pennsylvania, and, uh, in Pennsylvania, yeah. I want to, I want to say that because in, you know, when I go out to Ohio or I'm in Indiana or something, Oh no no, that's a whole different ball game. But well, I see where you're getting at because then, like by watching their reactions, seeing their demeanor, you know, realize what kind of buck they are. You can go ahead and be confident with pulling your grunt call and calling that deer because you know what kind of attitude he has. Yep, more than likely. Yeah. Yep. So um, as far as calling goes, I rely on the freaking lead count a lot. Oh yeah, me and too. and in conjunction with my grunt calls, I do a lot. I do a call sequence where. I'll hit the bleak can several times, and then on the third time I do a stutter bleak, I'll shake the can, yep. or the, just does that, like that. And immediately afterwards, I'll hit it with tending grunts. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of success with that, a lot of success over the years. And I've had friends that texted me this past season, you know, I'm not seeing much, what should I do? I told two guys, I can give you their names, and they'll tell you, within... 10 minutes of doing a, just a blind call sequence the way I told them to do it, they had bucks come in. Yep. Yep. So oh. it's, uh, you, you really got to pay attention to that deer too. When he's coming in, what's his, what's his body language telling you? Like you said, you, you wait until it's like desperation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys will just keep blowing the same fucking grunt at this deer. And you got to pay attention. If his ears are facing towards you, not, and he doesn't necessarily need to be looking at you, but if he's walking and you're grunting at him and one of those ears is directed towards you, he heard you. He just doesn't give a shit. Right. You know, maybe try that stutter bleed. That may pick his interest. Mm -hmm. Or, like I said, uh, a lot of people make the mistake with calling. They have a mature buck gun call or the buck roar. Right. Pennsylvania, come on, sound beatable. Right. You want to be like the little pipsqueak satellite buck that's trying to swoon one of these big bastards' ladies. Mm -hmm. You, uh, he wants to, he, you know, he wants to just rush you right the hell off. So, you don't want to sound like another giant mature buck. You know. Yep. Just sound beatable. I've had more success with that than the opposite. Yep. Same man. Same. Yeah, I, I I go for the same thing. You know, when I use my bleat, I'm the same as you. Um, that sequence is super similar. I you know I have tried and went with doing tending grunts. Um, I don't like I said I don't do it all the time. Usually it's a desperation when I reach for the grunt. But um, as far as that bleat can, I can mm -hmm. attest. I mean, I have three deer for sure. Three deer on my wall that the bleat can it it killed them. I mean it it changed the trajectory of where the deer was going you know i had mm -hmm. i had one totally walk right by me you know he's 60 yards away from me i started bleating i did a couple half bleats like you said um kind of just changing it up and just making it sound different you know and i mean he turned come right back in i mean mm -hmm. the rest is history but um yeah i'm big there's on the i'm big on the bleak can i love it man i think it's full there's, too. there's a little you know, tips and tweaks you could use to it. And, you know, I, I've used it where I put it behind my back or I put it in my pocket and tip it to make it sound duller so he's not pinpointing exactly where I'm at because they're very good at that. Oh, yeah. Especially if they're 
you know, within 40 yards, I'll put the bleak can in my back pocket and set it off. That way it seems like the deer's moving further away. So he's looking past you mm-hmm. rather than, you know, in your specific area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to say they're looking through you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah, Missy. I mean, I, I just, there's plenty of uh, good stuff we're covering here, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really liking where we're at here. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the, the scrape life is, it's a lot of fun. You get a lot of inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know what I like to do for like the last week of October is if I'm being mobile, if I can find a hot scrape and I know like there's good sign in that area, you know, like there's, you know, here's a, here's a nice tall rub. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. hunt where I think that that deer is probably going to try to work that scrape in that area. I'm not going to hunt maybe right over the scrape, right? You know, not like 25, 30 yards from the scrape or whatnot. But, you know, if it looks like, hey, he might swing around and, you know, try to J-hook this area right here because he could be bedded over here on his hillside or something like that, then I'm yeah. going to – I'm gonna if it's nice, fresh, and there's a big rub nearby, I don't think too much about it. I'm hunting it. Yeah. When you go into an area and if you see that dirt is still dark and black and you you just got to say, screw it, I'm hunting here. You know, you hunt the hot sign. Yeah. So, uh, but areas like Scrape City, though, it was just, I just try to, you know, throw Hail Marys with the the wind because, you know, traditionally it's a northwest wind. So I tried to hunt a northwest or any north-based or south-based wind because a lot of the travel there was east west Mm -hmm. so and you know it's bound to swirl at some point in time in those areas and i just cross my fingers you know i I don't try to i didn't think too hard about jay hooking and everything else because there's so many scrapes in the area which one is he going to particularly hit you know what i mean yep it's it's a crapshoot at that point in time yeah so well and that's what i was saying before about like being aggressive too because i know guys it's wild to me, man. Like they'll sit, they'll sit on the couch because, like, oh no, I have to have a southwest wind to hunt that spot. Nope, screw it. Get out there and go. I'm, like, even if it's crazy. Yeah, you have you have to freaking make stuff happen. You have to make opportunities happen. Yeah. You just can't wait till it falls in your lap. Um, like I said this year, I went out after him. I went and made these plans and went in after him. Whereas before years past, I would just like wait on the outskirts, you know, maybe just inventory scrapes rather than going right down in deep into the rut scrapes right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, yep. This year I changed it up and I obviously had a lot more success. I didn't kill one, but again, I had the best season I've had in 25 years of bow hunting and I didn't kill, but it was still amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, yeah. Okay. The wind is the wind. But I'll tell you right now, if the wind's single digits, I'm taking the thermals all day over the wind. All day. Absolutely. I don't even think about it. If it's under 10 mile per hour, I'm hunting the thermals. So, I mean, you know, I think you and I might be in a little different situation than some people because of the type of terrain that we're hunting, though, too. Yeah. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Because these, these thermals are they're super unforgiving, and they're super... Yeah. Once you, so, once you have them figured out, though, too, you can really, I mean, really excel. Yeah, and like I said, uh, you know, in this area, you know, I don't know if you have them, but there's a lot of, like I said, it's a lot of reclaimed mine ground. Stuff was 
that was done in the like late 18, early 1900s, mm-hmm. where there was the whole land was just completely raped of no trees whatsoever. <laughs> right, right. And now, now what's left is overgrown comb banks. You got you got pits, you got trenches, you got stripping pits, you got these little pock holes that thermals and winds they do fucking parkour off these things and the deer <laughs> like to be up on top of them stripping banks too those overgrown comb banks mm-hmm. and because they, they can see down down in it you know all these little pits and all these little you know mm-hmm. little flats yeah. they have a tactical advantage on it it's like playing hide and seek it sucks but that's why they're there and that's why there's some of the biggest bucks are you know roaming around in those areas yep i mean it's it's the same exact terrain here man it's honest to god like it's and you see them old pictures, man. It's mm-hmm. like you were saying. I, I'd like to know what the wind felt like back in the day. It's like the Midwest. It had to been because they just – it was like the fucking Lorax come through and just cut everything. Oh, They're, absolutely. That's just for just paper mills and, and for building and burning firewood and everything else. Yeah. And mining. Then the mining industry came in, raped the land, and it was just – you know, the, shit, at one point in time, there were no deer. I think it was like 1926, they were freaking training deer in. They were bringing deer in by train to stock, restock them. Yep. So, you know, Pennsylvania doesn't even have any really technically natural Pennsylvania native deer. They're from freaking multiple different states to restock the state because it was just that beat down. That's funny you say that, man, because literally the last podcast I just that, that, I, that I did, I, I brought that up. And um, he was a little bit younger than us and kind of educated them on that and yeah it's that's a it's a wild thing man they, they they had them eradicated here and that's it's crazy to know that but um you know uh let's move forward on to a couple different other topics um sure. you know one thing i want to cover real quick and and you and i always bullshit about it but um you know i kind of want to get into your feelings on you know what what the hell this this hunting industry has turned into I don't want to get real deep on it, but uh, I think that you have some really good points to make, and, and I want to get them out there for everybody. I feel that the hunting industry ruined TV by creating just unrealistic expectations of what hunting is and throwing out unrealistic situations on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, people were just killing for kills and, and, you know, with all the freaking poaching cases coming out and everything else, that was evidence. That's all, that was evident. That's all it was about. Putting kills on camera to get money, this, that, and the other, get people to buy these products. It was a big thing. So everybody started drifting away from that and they went into YouTube land and social media. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, more people were starting to relate that with these, you know, average Joes going out there filming their kills and their hunts and whatnot. And then the industry saw that and said, we can capitalize on that. We can give these people promo codes and, you know, promo codes and field staff positions and this, that, and the other. And, you know, we can make it seem like, hey, even you can get in on this and be a professional hunter, this, that, and the other. So everybody all of a sudden wanted to be famous, you know. Yep. And everybody's hunting for, for likes. They're hunting for likes. They're hunting for follows. They're hunting for everything but themselves and it's kind of like soured hunting a little bit you know and what i don't like is a lot of these guys that are out there making it seem like i only i can hunt like this this that and the other and they're they're hunting for clout and that gives a a lot of bad vibes and a bad image of hunters because in my opinion you have some of these guys young young and 
influential kids coming up and they see that, or you got fence sitters, guys that want to try and get into hunting, but are kind of like, nah, I don't know. And then they see guys like that and they're like, well, that guy's a total Chad. He's a rod. I don't want to even deal with, I don't want to deal with people like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They may sway him away from it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a crazy thing now. It's just, it's sad. I well, mean, you know, uh, one example I'll make real quick is um, they just had that buckshot in Ohio, that monster deer. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I'm trying to think. Of oh, it. yeah. Yeah, I can't think of the kid's name. I know what one you're talking about. I don't want to say it because yeah. I, I made posts about it and it was taken down due to harassment. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but that's just a good example of, of what happened. You know, I, I don't think that he was found guilty or anything like that. So I don't want to. Not yet. But. Right. But, but uh, yeah, from what I read, the signs aren't very good. But um, it puts pressure on people to do stupid shit to get famous. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I have to go ahead and just kill a buck at any cost just so people fucking know who I am or like me. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, okay. I did this thing just to back in 2020 when I started this. It was to showcase me and my fucking idiot friends that are goofballs show that we're serious hunters, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Right. And we use it as a bragging board to celebrate everybody else's success in our area. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everybody to come together and enjoy it. And like, you know, there's, it's, it's crazy. That's, that's the only thing I could say. I could go on and on and on about it, but you know, those are my feelings on it. And it's putting a lot of pressure on people to hunt, not for themselves. Right. Yeah. It's, it's unhealthy. It doesn't look good. Um, <laughs> the amount of people that are out there just to get clout is kind of wild to me. You know, some of the other stuff is like how gullible a lot of people are. You know, yeah. we were talking about like, just because you have uh, a video of you talking about how this deer should be moving through there or you have a, a, a podcast, or you have a um, any any other sense of social media or whatnot, like, and uh, and just the way I see some people eat it up, and I'm like, you know that that's probably just regurgitated inf- you know information, and that guy has no idea like exactly. how to actually. You can when you start seeing people when you start hearing and seeing people say this deer is going to do this this and this, I I kind of tune myself out. I just, you know, because right. there's no absolutes in hunting mm-hmm. ever. You can make the best plan ever and that deer could just, just simply, there's so many things that could happen that you can't predict what a deer's going to do. They're, you know, they could catch a scent from another hunter or a coyote or a bear or whatever. Anything could freak them out. You can't say this is what this deer's going to do. It's possible that deer could do that, but when they when you start hearing these guys that have their own shit and saying that this is what's going to happen, okay, you know, sure. Right. But I don't know. I, yeah. Don't I, get me all worked up, man. I, I'm, <laughs> you know. Oh, shit. Now, well, you're easy to work up, so. Um. Yeah, I was uh, I was fully expecting to get punched in the face at the sportsman show, but, <laughs> you know, that didn't happen. Oh shit! I mean, I I wish I'd have been there to see it if it did happen, so I could see who did it. But, um, 
Yeah, it sound, sounds like a good time. But yeah, man, it, it sucks. Um, you know, but for everybody listening, you know, we do want you guys to know that there are uh, down-to-earth people out there that um, you guys can reach out to. Like, I'll gladly answer any questions you have. If I don't know how to answer your question, I do know some people that can probably answer your question. And same here. Absolutely. I Listen, I may not have a success story for your question, but I'll have a fuck-up story that may answer that question. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Never, And that never happened to me as a win, but here's how I lost, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, if I, it's when people ask me about stuff, I, I do my best to say, okay, well, I don't have the experience of succeeding in that, but I did screw up here, here, and here. I did, you know, I, I learned from my mistakes. And like I've always said, I've always screwed up more than I succeed, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to admit that. Whereas people nowadays kind of shy away from that. Oh yeah. I, you'd be surprised how many people, you know, I bring up, wounding a deer and it's like everybody has to everybody has to turn their head and poke their ears and walk away and i'm like listen this is part of what goes on okay i don't you might not want to hear about it you might not want to you know talk about it but we're going to talk about it you know listen if you don't if you're if you've been hunting long enough those things are going to happen those x factors are going to happen you hunt long enough you're going to have bad shots you're going to wound deer you're going to not recover deer it happens Yep. If you say it doesn't happen, you've either not hunted long enough or you're fucking lying. Yeah. I'm just going to flat out say that. You're bullshitting. I agree. So, I agree. And, then, and this one comment I heard recently was, uh, I've shot so many big bucks, I don't remember all the details to everyone. Bullshit. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I would have to say the same thing, man. There's just no way. There's – I – I'll tell you right now, my dad has shot a lot of large, mature bucks, and I'm telling you, I guarantee you he can tell you exactly how each one went down and where it was, how it happened, every single little detail of it. Guaranteed. My dad has shot a lot of deer. He's not shot a lot of big ones. In fact, he's probably never shot a big one. He's shot a lot of two-and-a-half and three-and-a-half-year-olds, and and, they've been getting bigger as the years go, and Mm -hmm. last year he kind of detracted and shot a tiny one, but whatever, his tag, his hunt. But he can tell you the details a lot of them hunt, and he's been bow hunting since the 60s. Yeah. And he can tell you details about all the ones he screwed up with. It was a very, very fine detail. Mm -hmm. So for somebody to say, I've shot so many big bucks, you know, eat me. Right. Raw. Yep. No, I, I feel you 100%. I stand behind that. That's, 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 and I had that, I had that conversation with, uh, Ryan Glitzky, Moose Glitzky. And, mm-hmm. you know, I said, this guy went ahead and said this. And he goes, oh, well, I call bullshit on that. And, you know, Moose's resume speaks for himself. And oh, he yeah. remembers every detail of his hunt. So there you go. Yeah. Yep. Sorry for name dropping you, Moose. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah, don't worry. He's he's a he's a friend of the show. He's I'm sure he's been listening to oh, this. Oh, I love I love him. He's a good dude. Yeah, really good guy. Great listener, and he's uh always available to answer questions. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Another down to earth guy. Like you said, there's tons of us out there that are willing to just you know answer your questions without saying how great we are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can promise you, I'm not great. I mean. You know, this I year, suck. yeah, this year, hey, archery season, I didn't kill nothing. You know, I, I was, yeah. yeah, I got the boomstick out and the game changed and I could shoot him for 
further than 40 yards. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the, that's the difference in what happened for everything. So listen, I saw two deer in rifle season. That's it. (laughs) And I missed them multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) So there goes to show you, you know, you're run of the mill hunter. So yeah, same man, same, but, um, couple more things for for uh before we wrap her up man um so you know you've been a pencil resident uh pennsylvania resident all your life you know you, mm-hmm. you you know how things work you know how things are you know this thing's shitty this thing's cool so what are some things that you think here in pennsylvania that we do really well and um you know on the flip side of that what are some things that you think that we could take a step back and be like hey like maybe we should look at this because this is stupid um so as far as things we do well, I mean, the management program, a lot of people disagree with it. That's to me, you're ignorant. Like, look what's happened. What, look what Gary all implemented and look what we've become. You know, we're shooting really big deer every year. Yeah. You know, big, big bucks are coming out of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is not laughed at anymore when it comes on to the scale of, you know, shooting nice bucks. It's come leaps and bounds. And, the manager, like I said, the restrictions and people are starting to really get this whole idea of, okay, you know, that's a basket buck. Maybe I'll let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's infectious, that kind of attitude. Yeah. And again, it's, it's your tag, your hunt. Yeah. I don't care if you shoot that basket buck. I'd applaud you if you shot that basket buck, mm-hmm. but you know, you see people pass out and that's how we're getting bigger and bigger deer. Plus, you have guys that are starting to see the light on buck doe ratio. There's mm. still a lot out there that don't get that, right. but we do need to shoot the does off in order to bring the buck doe ratio balance up. People don't get, you get questions every year. Why am I seeing a fawn with spots in October? Well, you know, keep burning them doe tags or refusing to shoot does. You're going to have that. Yep. You know, those, those fawns get dropped late because those mothers were bred late. And then those fawns won't reach 75 pounds in extra cycle until late. And then the cycle just keeps going over and over and over again. Yeah. You know? So, you know, that's, you know, the management system is coming around and is getting better. So I'm really, I really like that. Um, I also think that uh, Forestry and the Game Commission don't get enough props with how they're managing some game lands. I mean, some areas they're a little bit missed on, but some areas I've noticed they're with their prescribed burns and their cutting and everything else, they're creating really good habitat. Hmm. So I give props to them. Uh, let's see. Things that need to be addressed. Sunday hunting. We need it. Yeah. Let's it, it, catch up with the times. Yeah, for sure. All right. There's really no reason for us not to have it, except for the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau that just keeps cock blocking us. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, 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 we could, we I could have, tear down that road a, because I have a really big compromise here, and for everybody out there that may be against Sunday hunting or on the fence of it, okay, uh, our license sales directly fund the game lands. Yep, we should be able to use the game lands and our own private property or actually places we have access that would allow Sunday hunting. We should have permit. We should be able to hunt Sundays on game lands and private property. Mm-hmm. Now, state forests and state parks, go ahead, close them for Sundays so that could go ahead and be the hikers and bikers and leaf keepers and everybody else's recreation areas. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That way, 
everybody wins to a degree. Yeah. You know, farmers want to complain, oh, we want a day of rest. Well, then post your farms as such. Right. Tell the people that you give permission, no Sunday hunting. Well, people will trespass anyways. People are going to trespass anyways, regardless. Yeah. I, you know, you can't stop that. Uh, brother, I, I, I mean, I challenge, and I say this on plenty of podcasts, I challenge anybody to give me a good argument against it. And, like, I've had one or two things where I was like, well, you make a good point, but here's why I think, you know. And my rebuttal is always – I feel like it's always better just because it doesn't really make any sense. But it, it it's a law, and it's one of them things, like, Pennsylvania is just old school on how many other things, so it doesn't surprise you at all. You know. And a big thing that does concern me, we need to keep politicians out of decisions for oh, yeah. wildlife management. Oof. Oh my, that's a that's a big one there. Yeah, well, I I do not want to see us go down that road, and you know that's a very very dark path. So let's let's keep that nonsense out of it. Yeah, I mean we could end up being like New Jersey, you know. Yeah, freaking ballot box, freaking biology. Let's not have that shit. Right. But uh, yeah, that's how I see things. I mean, it's right now it's a positive outlook on a lot of things, and just. The Sunday hunting is the one thing that I kind of want to see come to fruition in my lifetime. I I think we will, to be honest with you. But, it, you know, there's just too much good that could come from it. I mean, can you imagine, you know, the non-resident hunting boom on top of what we already have? is It's a pretty good non-resident program mm-hmm. because you gave that guy that, you know, when we're talking blue-collar guys like ourselves, like, so you gave him that extra day to do that. So he left work early Friday or took off Friday or worked four tens or whatever the hell his schedule was. So he could hunt yeah. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's it's humongous. It's Absolutely. I mean, it's good for everybody. It's that's good for the whole gander. There's no doubt about it. So I, I think you'll see it moving forward. You'll get somebody in there that'll that'll be able to push you through. And I mean, like you said, the only thing that sucks is man, there's just so much politics behind everything. We were talking about, like, the story of Dr. Alt and shit. And, mm-hmm. Dude, the politics that he talks about and, like, how they were able to do that and how it got passed, like, it was it was just politics. It's the only reason they were able to do it. Yep, it's it's scary, man. Yeah, it is, man. It is. But listen, brother, this, this has been an awesome conversation. And, um, you know, you've been a friend of the show for a long time, so it's no surprise that uh, we'll probably have you come back through. And um, we were talking about planning – uh, a double down or some sort of freaking uh, menage a trois of, of a bunch of different freaking hunters coming together and and, and doing doing an episode of of just straight killer yeah, talk. Yeah, round table. Yeah, that's so that's kind of a goal of mine. I like to get a bunch of different uh, guys who run podcasts in Pennsylvania and have them sit down and just do a round table discussion of the progression of hunting in Pennsylvania and the modern Pennsylvania bow hunter, just, you know, just a big bullshit session. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get air out grievances, this, that, and the other, and just talk, converse, have, you know, intelligent conversations. Yeah. That sounds like a blast for me. And uh, yeah, I can't, yeah, we'll definitely have to get, get that together, get it all summed up. And, and, uh, and I'm sure that we'll have plenty of people interested in that. So with that being said, brother, you know, um, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, we can't wait to, to catch up with you and see what what this year holds yeah absolutely man I really appreciate you having me on alright brother well we will talk to you soon sounds good brother
You have made it through another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys, thank you so much for all the love and support. I really do appreciate it. I love the comments. I love whenever you guys say, hey, let's try to get this or that guy on. Keep it coming. I appreciate it. Keep coming back for more. Guys, please go give Travis a follow over Anthracite Antler Addicts. He's always doing something cool on his Instagram page. And don't be afraid to reach out to him and BS with him. What a great guy. We'll see you on the next episode.